proudly resents. I'm your host, Adam Spiegelman. I am obsessed with cult films, and that's what this podcast is all about. I've been obsessed with the movie The Room since I saw it at a midnight screening in 2004. Uh, yeah, 2004, okay? So it was so exciting to see it go mainstream with the film The Disaster Artist, which is a really great movie. You should check it out, and the book is hilarious. You know, Tommy impressions have replaced the Borat impression for The Office goofball. Listen, I was lucky enough over the years to interview so many people related to the movie The Room, including Tommy Wiseau with a crazy interview you have to check out, Philip Holderman, who played Denny, Robin Paris, who played Lisa's frisky best friend, and an interview that was very controversial with Sandy Scalar, who claims that he directed The Room. Those are all great interviews, but Robin was so nice. She, of course, got the actors together and did a very funny show called The Room Actors, Where Are They Now? So Robin is in touch with everybody, and she put me in touch with a guy who plays Chris R., the drug dealer with a black beanie and absolutely no patience. He's not just a veteran of the room, but you'll hear about his Olympic career and his wife's unusual profession. Now, go to proudlyresents.com slash Chris R. Find links to his Etsy account, his Facebook pages, and you'll also be able to listen to the other interviews I did with the other actors from the movie. At this website, you can make a donation, give me some cash, you know what I'm saying? Contact me or buy some really cool t-shirts from Busted Tees. We get a piece of the action. So this is an ad. It's not just an ad. It's like a public service announcement because if you haven't worn a shirt before, wow, I am telling you, shirts, game changer. I don't know. Your your inner core is more warm. Uh, you can get into better restaurants. So if you must wear shirts, you might as well buy a great, hilarious one with your favorite movie or slogan or whatever on it. They're just great, well-made shirts. Go to proudlyresents.com slash shirts or press the ad banner. Let's all enjoy this great interview. Thank you, Dan, for doing the show. Check it out. Proudly Resents, we're here with Dan Jenjingian, a.k.a. Chris R. from the movie The Room, which has now got a resurgent because of the movie The Disaster Artist. Big fan of the movie, big fan of your party. You play the evil drug dealer. How would you describe The Room to someone who's never heard of the movie? Uh, how would you describe The Room? Uh, man, it is a conundrum in a vacuum within a hurricane, man. that It's a it's a mess. <laughs> it's... Uh, they, they say it's the, uh, best worst movie of all time because of the fact that it wasn't meant to be a bad movie. Uh, it's, right. it's not one of your Sharknadoes, but it's just a lot of fun. It's a great, it's a great opportunity. I, I would recommend to people not to watch it at home, you know, go to a theater because it's, it's a, uh, it's definitely something that you want to experience with people that have, you know, seen it before and, you know, know all the little nuances of the movie, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. It's a group activity. How did you get involved in this film? You know, it's a funny story. I had actually, um, back in 2002, I had just moved to LA after I'd, <clears throat> I was in the uh, Olympics back in 02, uh, for bobsledding. And I had, I had moved out there and my, um, one of my best friends at the time, uh, was actually playing the role of Mark in the movie, uh, at, uh, at that time. And as you know, a lot of the original, um, not just characters, but even the, uh, the crew had actually, uh, disappeared over the course of the movie, you know, they'd quit, they'd get fired, whatever had happened. And so, uh, Dan Wells, who was my roommate at the time asked me, he said, Hey, you know, they're looking for a thug. You know, at the time I was, I had a little more weight on me and was a little bit better shape. 
So I went out and uh, tried out for the movie and got it, and the rest is history. How long into the film did you come in? Because according to Disasters, you were the first shot. Oh, you're talking about the actual filming, yeah, because everything's filmed out of sequence. So uh, I don't know if I was the first shot, but I, I, uh, I would assume I was pretty early on. But again, uh, when I came in there and they did the, uh, the filming, it was crazy because you have to remember, the way it worked, Adam, we didn't know anything about the script. So knowing that films can be shot out of sequence, I assume naturally that there's going to be other scenes shot that um, you know, I hadn't seen the script on yet and that there would be later scenes shot because <laughs> besides that, as, as it's been called, it was kind of my scene was kind of a plot cul-de-sac, right? Anyway, long story short, uh, you know, I was on set for, I think, close to two weeks to film that little part. And uh, they ended up having me come back later on to refilm that exact same part on the roof. Oh, so in Zassars, they show you in the alley. That really, you did shoot that scene in the alley and then you shot it on the roof again. Yeah, the original scenes were shot in the alley, which I guess made too much sense. So why not shoot it again on a roof? Because, <laughs> you know, it, it sets with the uh, the whole concept. Yeah, well, how did Chris R. get on the roof at somebody else's house? That's a great question. You know, why is, why is Denny on the uh, roof playing with a basketball? Why is, you know, how does, uh, you know, uh, Lisa and... Claudette show up there right after Greg and I mean all those questions how did I get taken to the police station so fast you know there's there's so many so many questions so what was the audition like what did you have to do for the audition you know I, I think the audition for me went easier uh, because I had actually heard stories uh, the way that it was you know shown in the disaster artist I, I've heard is pretty close to true uh, as far as you know people being asked to do all sorts of silly stuff uh, for me it wasn't like that he actually uh, had me come through and and uh you know, I think he was looking for a certain look and he had me read through, through some lines. He asked me some questions about, uh, you know, what method of, you know, uh, I, I had, I had learned under, was I a Meisner guy or a Stanislavski guy? You know, that, those kind of questions. And what were you? I'm a Stanislavski guy, but I kind of, I gotta be honest. I kind of BS my way through that at that time. I hadn't, I hadn't even had my first acting lesson at that point. So <laughs> we kind of moved up after then. But they show you in the movie totally hyper and totally into it. Is that the way you were in real life or is that total exaggeration? You know what? It's embarrassing to say, but that that's probably close to real. I uh, I know there was a bunch of scenes where, you know, I, I was trying to get myself hyped up. I was trying to get myself because I'm, I'm by, by nature, I'm not a an angry guy. So, you know, to, to kind of get myself in that place, I would you know, stalk around and get mad and be talking to myself and, you know, that kind of deal to, to try and get myself amped up. And uh, so, yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I think Zac Efron probably uh, nailed that. <laughs> you're an Olympic athlete. I mean, is that part of your thing? You were just like training like you're an athlete or what was going through your mind? This is my big break. What did you think? Well, you got to remember, I had, my roommate was an actor, right? It still is. He does a lot of, he, he still does a lot of little things here and there. But, uh, you know, for me, it was like uh, just trying to take direction and learn. And so, you know, the idea was, hey, look, you know, if you're a drug dealer, you got to kind of get your brain there. Like you got to think that this guy just stole your money. Right. And, he, you know, he had he, you gave him drugs and he didn't pay you for those drugs. And so where are you at? And what do you think? So I'd be sitting there going, that bastard, you know, shit. You know, I can't believe this guy took off with my cash. And, you know, I'd be banging in the walls and stuff. And, and uh you know, I would do that right up to the time that we had to film. So it was pretty fun. It was a good time. It was a good time. What was it like seeing heartthrob Zac Efron playing you? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, I, I normally, I mean, it's, it's cool. No question about it. But uh, it's definitely not nearly as cool as when you have a 15-year-old daughter like I do. You know, that, that makes it super cool. Does she think you're the coolest guy ever? I doubt it. But I think, <laughs> I, I think she'll give me, 
I think she'll give me a little bit of credit that I've got Zach Efron. You know, she'll definitely point that out. You know, so that that definitely got me some kudos. You were at the screening in Austin, and they had you come up on stage. What happened there? Yeah, this is a crazy story. So I had, um, you know, the the actual original cast has not really been invited or, or has not really uh, participated in a lot of stuff. Like we wanted to see if we could become, because uh, all the guys that were in the original cast, you know, everybody from Juliet Daniel to Philip Haldeman to Kyle Voigt to uh, to Robin Paris to all these guys, you know, we, we stayed in good touch. I mean, this has been a, a real nice bonding for us, right, over all these years. And when this movie was coming out, we had all said, man, how cool would it be if we could be and play cameos in the movie, not as ourselves, but like be a bartender in the background or be you know, just, just to be in the background and say we were a part of the disaster artist. I'm going to tell you, they, I don't know if they ignored us or just didn't hear from us, but I know all of us reached out in different ways. So anyway, when the, uh, when the screening was going to come up, uh, we had also tried to become a part of it. And I reached out to Warner brothers, who was the original before a 24, they were the ones that were going to distribute the film. And I had gotten set up to, to go to the show showing. And I was in Japan at the time, uh, because, my wife's a professional wrestler, as random as that sounds. So she was in Japan wrestling, and I was out there watching her. <clears throat> and about four days before the screening, I get an email saying, hey, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to be able to honor those seats for you at the screening in, at South by Southwest. And so I wrote them back, and I'm, I'm like, hey, I don't think you understand. I like, I have tickets to fly back. You know, I'm coming back from Japan. It's not like I'm just going right. to you know, pop in. And they couldn't do anything for me. So I got back at 3 o'clock in the morning from Japan. I drove to uh, the Paramount Theater, which is where it was uh, that uh, that evening, because I got there the morning of, and I convinced one of the managers at South by to to try and you know take care of me on on the tickets. And she said, "Well, there's nothing I can do, but let me see if I can help out." Anyway, long story short, uh, I ended up working my way in, which was awesome. And then uh, at the end of the movie, they had a Q and A. I went up and asked the questions uh, about the movie and and mentioned I was in the movie and Seth Rogen gave me the greatest response I could have ever hoped for. You know, he's like, you're Dan Jinjigan, you're an Olympian, get your ass up here. And I, I went up and <laughs> took a picture and did Q and A and it was, it was amazing. It was a, it, it was, you know, it was really cool to be a part of that. And I feel very, uh, very fortunate that those guys are so nice. Well, so back to being on the set of the room, what, what was Tommy like as a director to you? Yeah, you know what? It was, you know, the way that it was portrayed in the movie, uh, the way that you would imagine it to be is exactly how it was. I mean, I sat through meetings where everybody would get together and they would be like literally airing their grievances. I was there when when people were quitting, you know, when when the crew, one of the crews had quit. I mean, it was just it was crazy to be a part of that. Uh, as far as how he was to me personally, you know, I, I had no problem with Tommy. It's like it was really my first time on a set. So I didn't know what was normal or not normal. A lot of what I saw, I, I saw, I guess I would I didn't realize was an abnormal you know, set. Um but I do remember one particular time uh, I was there and, and I was just frustrated. We'd been there for, you know, filming the same stupid 90 second scene over and over again. Right. He loved this scene with this drug dealer. And if you look on if you look in the screen, you'll you'll notice I'm substantially taller than Tommy. You know, I mean, he's got to be somewhere in the mid, you know, mid five foot range. And so, you know, basically what happened is they would come over and they tackle me and take the gun away. And we're in the middle of the scene. And I'm all pumped up. And I finally just got so tired of it because Tommy would come over and he'd literally be pawing at me. He wouldn't grab me. He wouldn't do whatever. And I'm not fragile. You know what I mean? And so we were in the middle of the scene. I remember this one time I just grabbed him by the collar and I put him up against the wall. I had him probably a foot off the ground. And I'm like, if you're going to freaking grab me, grab me. Right. And, and it was just so funny because his reaction, he just wasn't, 
accustomed to, you know, to, to that kind of a, a reaction, I guess. And, uh, the next one that we took was really good. And then of course we never used it. We used the one on the, uh, on the rooftop. <laughs> so you didn't even use the good one. Didn't use the good one. I don't know what happened to the good one. It's not even a, whatever one he used on the DVD was horrible. The one, the really good one. I don't know if it even exists anymore. Why were people quitting? Do you know what were some of the complaints on set? One of the biggest complaints is there was no dailies. So, you know, if you've got a listener that doesn't know what that is, basically every day you would know what's being filmed, right? And, you know, uh, you had an idea of how long you'd be on set and everything else based on on the dailies. And we would go there and every day you had no idea what he was filming. You had actors that were there that had nothing to do with the scenes <clears throat> because they didn't know if Tommy was going to use them that day. And so, you know, we're all, none of us are A-list actors. So, you know, his expectation is we had nothing better to do than be there. And, you know, uh, so we would be there all day long and it was, uh, it was frustrating. It was exhausting. He was demanding. He was, uh, not the most generous guy in the world, you know? Um, so what do you mean? Well, like for example, you saw the scenes where he wouldn't make water available. You know, you had to kind of pay for your own things. I mean, I know, I remember he would buy a subway here and there. That was pretty cool. I thought that was a neat thing. You, you really just felt like you were, it didn't matter who you were when he needed you. He needed you when he didn't, you were just kind of passed over. Did you get paid for the days you sat there and didn't do anything? Yeah, actually, um, I don't remember how this worked out, but I, I got paid a flat fee for the time I was there. I can't remember what it was and I can't remember if it was negotiated before or after or how that worked. Uh, but it was actually a decent amount. I, I remember if I remember correctly, I think, uh, all in all, I made a couple thousand dollars from being there, which was pretty cool. Uh, especially at that point. Right. I remember a lot of that was negotiated when they made me come back. So I'd been there for two weeks. I left. I wanted nothing to do with it again. And I think this is even in the book. Uh, Greg Sestero, uh, who played Mark and wrote the book, he actually called me and he and I have still have a great relationship. And he called me. He's like, Dan, he's like, listen, you're not going to believe this, but <laughs> I really need you to come back, you know, and, and come back out. And I'm like, dude, I, there's no way. And he explained to me what was going on. They needed to reshoot the scene. And I said, look, if I come back, you know, it's not going to be without compensation. And so I said, you know, a couple of things I told him, as I said, I, I wanted, uh, I think he paid me something more for it. And then on top of that, I wanted a new pair of shoes because every time he dragged me out, my, uh, I had these real nice sketchers. I know it sounds dumb, but every time he dragged me out, I had these nice sketchers and he wanted to drag me. So the tops of my shoes would get all scratched up and I'm like, you're going to give me shoes. So I remember I, I went back there and did it. And I said, look, part of our deal was you owe me a pair of shoes or you owe me the money for shoes. And he didn't want to pay. And so I think finally Greg convinced him because I'm like, dude, I'm not leaving until you take care of this was our deal. <laughs> but uh, did you get paid for your salary? And is that true that all the checks cleared and everything like that? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah this, this mystery money, there's no lie about that, man. That mystery money, who knows where that came from? You, did you have any speculation? Where do you think it came from? Well, you got to remember, again, for, for me being new, I didn't realize all the craziness and I had nothing to compare it to at the time, right? Oh, yeah, everybody shoots in two cameras. And everybody buys both cameras. They don't rent them. And everybody has several booms and all these people. You know, I mean, just this is normal. So I, I really didn't have anything to compare it to. So at the time, it didn't really occur to me except for what people were saying. So, yeah, how do you act two cameras? I mean, I know you've never acted before, but how do you act at two cameras? Uh, yeah, same way as you would act to one. You know, I, I don't I mean, again, you got to remember there's that fourth wall, they call it, right? The, the fourth wall doesn't exist, which is where the cameras are. You don't see the... You don't see the cameras. You don't see the directors. You know, unless you're Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit, you don't look at the camera, right? Good reference. Yeah. So it's one of my favorite movies. 
But anyway, so yeah, you you just don't pay attention. You're still doing what you're doing, and the shots are going to come out how they come out. Uh, so tell me about uh, after the movie ended, and then there's, were you at the screening, the original screening? Oh yeah, yeah, I was there. <laughs> what was that like? Nothing like the movie. I, I you know I, I understand the movie had to wrap up right because at some point you just need to say hey it's all it's all finished. Uh, but that that actual screening it was I mean it was crickets. There was no you know, warm Tommy moment up on stage, calling up Mark and all those things. I mean, uh, basically, uh, you know, what happened in the actual screening was we got, uh, to the end and we were all laughing kind of uncomfortably throughout the movie. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember in the beginning of the movie and you got to remember, none of us saw anything about the movie until the premiere, right? I didn't, I didn't even see my own, uh, shots, like my own screenshots and stuff, saw nothing. So on the night of the premiere, a lot of us were sitting there and I remember I was sitting about three, four rows back behind Tommy. And I, I can't remember, I think it was, I want to say it was Kyle that I was sitting next to, Kyle Voigt, who played Peter. And I'm sitting there going, dude, are we in a, in a porno? Because I, I honestly got, I was like, oh my God, was I literally in a softcore porno? I, I mean, that's what it looked like. You know, if you imagine never seeing it before, right? It's the first time you're sitting there. You don't know anything about it. Like somebody goes to the room now and they've got all this backstory. But when we went, it was like you went in there and you knew the script. So we're starting to think, oh my God, maybe the script was not you know, made available to everybody because, you know, it's, it's, it's all based around this porno. Right. So anyway, thankfully we found out that's not what it was, but at the end of the movie, um, you know, again, it was, you know, we all clapped politely. Uh, we broke up and we went to this after party and there's actually, I think Greg's got some pictures of from the after party in his book. There's a picture of me and my, my old fiance and a couple of the people there, but the whole time it was just, you know, this discomfort and oh my God, nobody's ever going to see this movie. And, you know, hey, it's been great knowing you, you know, like we're never going to see each other again. Like what are the odds we're going to be paired up in another, another movie in the future? And then what do you know? A few weeks later, we're at another screening and apparently it's uh, it's created an underground following. So, yeah, that's that's how it happened. What was your first um, the first time you saw that it was a huge hit? Uh, huge hit. Or that it, this cult thing? Yeah, well, the cult thing came, like I said, a few weeks later. I got a call from... Um, uh, Scott, who played Mike, you know, the chocolate guy. And he was, uh, he was another really good friend of mine at the time. We've kind of lost, <clears throat> lost touch at this point, but Hey, if you're out there, give me a call. I'd love to catch up again. But he had called me up and he's like, Dan, you're not gonna believe this. You have to come by a screening of the room tonight. And I go screening of the room. I thought it's out of, I mean, who, where, where is it? Where is it even playing? And he goes, no, you got to come by and check this out. Just trust me. So I go to the screening and I see him and he's got a camera. So he's basically filming this. And I'd love to see this footage because it's really the first time that I remember there being any kind of following like you're talking about, right? But he was filming this. And there's people dressed up like me, right? There's guys in black sweatpants with beanies on and drawn in goatees, right? Um, <laughs> there's people in Lisa's dresses. And it was funny because most of them were guys, right? Wearing Lisa's dresses and blonde hair and <laughs> a lot of people with black stringy hair and sunglasses. And... I went through and I sat through it. And it, first of all, it was cool because everybody was mobbing us, right? So here I am. I just got to Hollywood. You know, I, I filmed this stupid movie, you know, and and uh, people are asking for autographs and pictures. And it was really super cool. Uh, I'm not going to lie. And then, uh, you know, once it was done, I remember I was talking to people. And I said, look, I said, you know, how many times have you seen this movie? And we had some people that had seen it literally two dozen times. And this was only a few weeks after it came out. And I'm like, what in the really? world? So I'll tell you, the first time I really realized it was a huge hit was several years later, I, because uh, I live in Austin, Texas now, and um, I had gotten called to uh, fly out to New York to do a screening. Uh, 
And it was really the first one I had done in a, in a major venue like that. And I, I wanted to go because my brother and sister lived out there. So I said, yeah, I, I'd fly out there anyway. So I went out and went to a, a screening in the East Village. And it was a huge theater. Had to, I, I know it holds over 500 people. Had a balcony area in the lower area. There was a band that was playing during the movie. And it was the most amazing thing. And they told me that, you know, David Cross had come to showings out there and, and Tommy had been out there and Greg and all these people had come out to previous showings. But that was the first time I'd really been at, at a massive showing. I mean, literally, as I got there, there was people lined up around the corner for just a random midnight showing. And uh, that was that was that was super cool. That was like uh, you, you felt like an A-list guy at that point. It was really neat. So what happened with your acting career after the movie? No, I did a bunch of, uh, you know, small stuff. I did a couple of reality shows. I mean, none of it came because of the movie. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, work that you do as a as a, you know, as an actor who's trying to be an up and comer in Hollywood. Right. So I did a couple of little things, but um, uh, never really, you, you know, I never really uh, pursued as much. I, I got to say, I was pretty lucky. I had I had some really good momentum. I was very fortunate with a couple of things I was able to do. Um, but I, I kind of. uh in, in hindsight, I, I kind of regret it because I wish that was my career. You know, I, what do you I, mean? I, well, I love acting. I still to this day love acting. I try and do anything I can, whether it's theater or anything. Else. I just love, I love the process. Um, but you know, my, uh, my career actually, uh, was taking off. And so I kind of focused on that side of things. I, I had a couple of businesses I owned and stuff. So that was, that became my focus and unfortunately took me away from Hollywood. What, uh, reality shows did you do? The two I did, uh, one was a show called, <laughs> uh, both of them were, were with my fiance at the time. It was funny because I had just come out of the Olympics. She was Miss Hollywood, right? Literally. Uh, and so uh, we got cast into a couple shows. One was a uh, show called uh, Love University, Love You, right? And it was a show on Bravo. Um, that one actually aired. It was like an hour long show. And basically they put us through a whole bunch of like, extreme things we did we did things like what if you had tw- uh oh no, no that's 24 hour in this one we basically uh had to do things together and they would grade us there'd be three psychologists that would grade us based on how well we did those things together to see how compatible we were well we never got married but we got the highest score on the show so there you go right <laughs> the other one was called 24 hour pass it was an nbc show this was awesome because they basically put me through a bunch of things like it's like what if you guys weren't together for 24 hours so they uh, reunited me with an ex-girlfriend. They reunited her with an ex-boyfriend. They had us, like I went on a huge, like this badass helicopter ride with the guy who did the uh, stunts for a racer. I did like uh, dummy car racing. Uh, they took her down a bobsled track. They literally flew her to Salt Lake City and took her down the bobsled track. Oh, wow. um, I got an Olympic tattoo on my back. I mean, all, all sorts of crazy stuff. You get 24 hours to do what you want, right? That was a great show. But those were the two uh, two two reality shows we did. Can you tell us about how you got into the Olympics so that you're training and that whole process? It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I started I started back in 1998. And um, uh, I, I used to race for uh, the U.S. and the Armenian team. I had two passports, so I raced for both teams. Uh, but then just for political reasons, I actually started uh, racing exclusively for the Armenian team. And we did really well. We actually uh, qualified and raced in the 2002 Olympic Games in, um, in Salt Lake. Uh, I had actually lost my break man that season, so unfortunately we didn't we didn't do as well there as we wanted to. But we actually took silver on that same track the next year, which was really great because we beat out the U.S. team. We beat out a bunch of teams. Um, it was the uh, uh, Czechoslovakia or Czech team that actually beat us at that point. Uh, but yeah, I did it for ten years. We would race probably five to six races a year, anywhere from U.S., Canada, Europe. It was fun. I, I miss it. Actually, I might be doing another event next year, so we'll see what happens. 
What kind of event is that? They're having a, uh, I, I just was called about this. It's a, like a European Masters Cup. And so all the guys I used to race with have been reaching out to me and some of the guys on my team and said, look, you guys have got to come out. This would be like a flashback to doing this before. And I still own like three bobsleds. So, uh, you know, I'm like, well, this might be a, it, it scares the crap out of me just thinking about it. Cause it's not, it's not a sport you can just jump in and out of. It's not like riding a bike. Right. So I'm, I'm a little freaked out about it, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll see. It'll, if we do, it'll be fun. So where do you keep your bobsleds? Um, there's a, a, a development group in Lock, uh, in, um, Lake Placid, New York. And uh, it's like junior team. So I used to have my bobsleds stored up there. And I thought, you know, they're not getting any use. So I donated to them. Not a full donation. I haven't given them the sleds. But I let them use them as much as they want for uh, teaching uh, young bobsledders how to uh, how to do the sport. And where did you guys train? Did you, is that true you trained on the streets? <laughs> You really can't train driving unless you're actually in a bobsled going down a run, right? But one of the most important parts of training in bobsled is the start. You know, the push start is like the most important part because that's where you get all your speed. So we actually bought a shell of a bobsled, literally had inline skates fabricated to fit on this bobsled, right? So we, it's really cool. It's a really cool setup. And we uh, basically set up a push start in the middle of the street, had to drill into the street, which I'm sure the city never found out about, but whatever. And then created this, this block to push start. And we had timing lights and we would literally push it right down the streets of, of our place. It was like playing hockey in the street. Whenever a car came, we'd have to like move off to the side, you know, but it was, it was awesome. It was fun. You just dropped it. Your wife is a professional wrestler. Who does she wrestle for? She's amazing. I can't really say too much because her character of her, of her, of the girl that uh, the wrestler that she is, is not necessarily married with kids, right? So I can't go into too much detail on that, but she um, she wrestles under the crash. She wrestles for uh, Lucha, which is the uh, the Mexican wrestling. So she's in Mexico all the time. She's wrestled out in London. She's wrestled under Stardom, which is Japanese wrestling. Uh, and it uh, looks like she's going to be doing some more stuff uh, uh, domestically uh, with WWE and stuff. So it looks like she's got some pretty cool things coming up, although um, you know she hasn't gotten a contract with you know like WWE. That would be... In my opinion, that would be the end-all, be-all, right? So, all right, not related to your wife at all, who is your favorite female wrestler, if you had to pick one? My favorite female wrestler? I'm trying to get you to secretly say your wife's wrestling name. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to throw that out. I'll throw out a, (laughs) you know, who I think is just hot and just cool as crap, and I I love watching her wrestle, is uh, Sasha Banks. I think Sasha Banks is is pretty badass. That's that's the one I'll stick to. All All right. So you're married to Sasha Banks. So um, <laughs> I am not. Let me make this clear, just so that there's absolutely no question. Chris R is not married to Sasha Banks, although that would be incredibly cool. Now you came back with the cast with Robin Parrish. He did a um, Where Are They Now? The Room, kind of a mockumentary. Right. How was that for you to do that? To come back to LA and shoot that? Oh, that was a blast, man. Robin's amazing. She uh, she and I really uh, didn't know each other on set, you know, because we weren't on set at the same time. So. Um, yeah, I remember at the time the movie came out, I'm like, oh my God, this girl's gorgeous, right? I mean, she's just, she was cool as anything. And then she's so smart too. I mean, she's put together these amazing scripts, right? I, I mean, I'll tell you, hands down, my favorite one is the one with uh, Philip Haldeman, you know, uh, when he's working at Denny's and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So funny. And I'm just like, it's just amazing. I mean, we we really had such a great group. But yeah, she did a great job and, and just kicked butt. And uh, have you had any contact with Tommy since shooting the movie? Since Disaster Artist? Yeah, I've seen I've seen him several times. Uh, I saw him obviously at South by Southwest, um, and we just said hi. You know, pleasantries. We didn't talk. You know, just just <laughs> just said hi. What, 
Why do you think he just he didn't talk? Because you guys didn't have a relationship. I mean, there's a a bond, right? He doesn't. Care. No, he didn't care. I, I if you want the honest answer is I don't believe he wants to share the spotlight with anybody. I think the only reason he tolerates Greg is because Greg wrote the book that's led to all this stuff. But I don't even think, and I, and I bet you could ask Greg this. I bet you'd give you the same answer. I don't even think that um, that Tommy uh, would even deal with Greg if Greg hadn't written the book. And I mean, they'd still be friends. Don't get me wrong. But he doesn't want to give any of the room to anybody else. Like if you see some of these documentaries that came out, uh, like Rick Harper did a documentary, Room Full of Spoons, which if you didn't ha- haven't had a chance to see it, you should see it. He, he put an injunction on it because he didn't want Rick to, to benefit from the room. He, you know, uh, Robin was petrified that he was going to put an injunction on her room documentary, even though it's a separate deal. So he, he really likes to have ownership of that. And even when we go out and do stuff, uh, he doesn't like other people to get uh, in front of the spotlight when the spotlight can be his. Has he ever blocked you from doing anything? Not me personally, but I know he's kind of made it clear through different channels that if you use the room for something, you know, to, to try and market or do whatever, that his lawyers will get involved. He hasn't, he hasn't said anything to me directly, but that's just what I've heard uh, several times. Have you used Chris R to benefit? You do a lot of business. Have you tried to cash in on the Chris R fame? You know, I haven't done too much with it. Uh, you know, one of the things is I, I actually, um, I've gotten some really killer artist renditions of stuff. And so we started putting those up on an Etsy page that we created so, you know, if you want to share that, uh, I'm happy to share that as well. But it's really cool. We've got, we, we made them into these really cool sketches. So we've got this awesome black and white sketch of like Chris R about to take out Denny. Um, you know, there's one in color, one in black and white. And there's another one that we're going to be releasing, which I'm, it's really funny. It's basically the in front of shot of Chris R with the gun, you know, uh, to Denny's head saying, you know, I don't have five freaking minutes basically. Uh, but it's going to be on a, on a t-shirt on the front. It's going to be hashtag MAGA. <laughs> make America great again, baby. Yeah. That one we'll have out here probably the next week, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. There's, it's kind of fun. You know, it's, we sold a bunch of that stuff recently to raise money for a, uh, basically a disabled vet out of Florida who was having major health issues. So thankfully we're not in a financial bind where we need to sell anything to make money. Uh, so we try and do it really more to raise money, uh, for, for good causes. You know, if people want to get more information, they can go to our, uh, my Facebook page, which is, uh, the original Chris R. I'll have a link to that also. Yeah, I get a link to that. But if you go to the page, you'll see there's a picture of me holding up a gun to the original cast, you know, uh, Greg Sestero and and Scott are in that picture with me. So it's pretty funny. But yeah, that's where we like to kind of update a lot of our stuff and love to have more followers. So definitely, uh, definitely join us for the ride. What do you think about the movie becoming 3D? Tommy's going to release it as a 3D movie. I guess because you shot two cameras, you can do it. I guess so, man. I, I saw that for the, I, I love the picture. I love the picture from the original billboard with him wearing the 3D glasses. Mm-hmm. But as far as, yeah, as far as the 3D deal, I mean, look, Tommy is going to capitalize on making as much money and getting as much notoriety from this movie as he can until it literally it, get as much blood out of that rock as you can. And so, you know, more power to him. I, you know, I got to give I got to give Tommy credit, you know, for the reaction he got at the screening, for the fact that he was hoping to make this really dramatic film and you know, everything else, I, I give him credit because as soon as he got the opposite reaction, he actually responded quicker and better than they showed it in the movie. He made a decision and just said, look, I'm going to go with this. And yeah, it's it's supposed to be a comedy. It's supposed to be this way. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people that would definitely have been that salmon, you know, swimming upstream, trying to trying to fight it and say, no, this is how you need to look at my movie. And he didn't do that. He said, look, if that's how people want to look at it, then I'm going to, you know, they want to look at me as kind of a, 
you know, this kind of a weird jokey character, then that's, I'll be who they want me to be. And the smartest thing he ever did. Do you think that bothered him at all? I mean, cause he wanted Oscar, he wanted to be Brando. I mean, how do you handle that? The people are laughing at Chris R. Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I mean, the, the coolest thing about this, I thought my 15 minutes was because of bobsledding in the Olympics, right? I never hear about that anymore. Anybody that talks to me about anything, it's about the room and Chris R. And it's like, really? I mean, you know, really? It took it looked it took so much effort to do this other thing. You know, it was <laughs> it was a scary sport. It took money. It took time. It took effort. It took all these things. It's it's there's a lot that we, that can be taught from that experience, right? But yeah, let's talk about this horribly crappy movie that I was in for 45 seconds or 90 seconds or whatever it was. Um, I love it, man. It's it's the gift that keeps on giving. So when you watch the first time people are laughing at you, you're just like, yeah, this is bizarre. I mean, what was your reaction? Yeah, I love it. I, you know, if if you can go in any situation and have a good time with people, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, who in the hell are you going to laugh at, right? I mean, you know, if I go to the room, I spent, you know, 10, 12, 14 years laughing at myself. You know, when people go in there and they look at this and they make fun of me leaning way in next to, <laughs> next to uh, Philip's face, you know, like, where's my money, you know? Now, you know, people are laughing at Zac Efron, you know, it's like, okay, did you really act that way? Okay. I got to laugh at myself again. Yeah. I, I probably, you know, Zach never called me and asked me, but he probably nailed it. You know, Greg did a great job writing about it and Zach did a great job imagining what it was. And that's probably accurate. Do you think Tommy really uh, is cool with this? Oh, I think Tommy loves it. I mean, again, you got to remember at the end of the day, the two things Tommy wanted is he wants to be loved, right? And he wants to be respected. And James has done that for him in so many ways. And same, so has Greg, you know, I mean, Greg, Greg should be, Tommy should be thanking Greg till the day he dies because Greg took something that, and again, giving Tommy credit that Tommy's, if it wasn't for Tommy, this movie would not have, it still wouldn't be out here, you know, 16 years later. I give Tommy credit for that. But if it wasn't for Greg, Tommy wouldn't have been on, he wouldn't have been on the stage of the Golden Globes. You know, he wouldn't have, he, all the things that he was missing from, uh, that didn't, this basically filled in the gaps from all the things that he got when the room became a cult, uh, cult hit to where it is now. It filled in the gaps for him. And do you know if he's going to the Oscars at all? You know, I don't know, man. I, I you know, honestly, I was, I was planning on going to the Oscars, uh, until James didn't even get nominated, you know? So uh, I was out there uh, during the golden globes. I didn't go to the golden globes, but I was there for all the after parties and just having fun. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the plan is. I'd be surprised because I'm guessing James will not be at the Oscars. No. So if he's not going to be there, I can't imagine Tommy's going to be there. I would think Greg should be there. Right. What was the parties like at the uh, Golden Globes? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, we, you know, we were, you know, we were popping around all over the place. We, we kind of actually, if I'm being very honest, I mean, I was there in my tux and the whole deal, but we stayed completely separate of all the, uh, the actual Golden Globes parties, you know, uh, because they're just a mess. You can't even move around. So. If you know LA at all, we ended up over at the uh, Saddle Ranch, which is like awesome, you know. So we had mechanical bull. Oh my god, yeah, we had we had girls in their in their you know full like uh, you know ballroom gowns on mechanical bulls, and you know we just had a great time. And I don't drink, so you know it was just a matter of just having fun, laughing with people, having a great time, talking about the movie, talking about the the Golden Globes. While you know while we were there is when um, when James won. So everybody was going nuts and it was just so cool to be there and be a part of it and be part of that vibe. So you watch the Golden Globes at the Saddle Ranch in a tux. Exactly. That's awesome. 
Or thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you doing this. You got it. Before I stop recording, anything that you want to close out with or do anything, or do you want me to just stop recording? No, can you just do a, a shout out? You're listening. This is uh, Dan, Chris R, and you're listening to uh, Proudly Resents. Proudly Resents? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is Dan Janjigan, also known as Chris R from The Room and The Disaster Artist, and you are listening to Proudly Resents. Good? Perfect. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Adam, you got it, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time to let me be a part of your show, man. Thanks, Dan, for the great interview. How hilarious. Uh, very cool to hear him talk. Go to proudlyresents.com slash Chris R to find links to the things we were talking about. Plus, you can watch The Room Actors, Where Are They Now? On that page, you can also get interviews with other actors that we've done from his movie. You can leave a donation for this show. You can buy a shirt. Now, have you thought more about this wearing a shirt thing? Has that been going through your head during the whole interview? It, I, I still, I stand behind shirts. And if you must wear a shirt, why not wear a cool shirt with your favorite movie on it? They got shirts with The Room, Star Wars, Stranger Things. Why not? Why not? Go to proudlyresents.com slash shirts. I've done over 200 episodes, so I split up the shows on Apple Podcasts into different categories. There's Proudly Resents Bad Movie Recaps, with recaps of films that are terrible with comics like Steve Agee. He's on the show. No big deal. Whatever. I got Agee. Uh, a lot of big comedians. There's also the best of Adam Felber, best of Chris Gore. And I put all the interviews in Proudly Resents interviews. Filmmakers like Bobcat Goldthwait. Listen, I'm not here to show off. Lloyd Kaufman, enjoy it. Shadow Stevens, yeah, Shadow Stevens. That Shadow Stevens. And if you're of a certain age, this guy named Shadow Stevens. Those are all fun. So go through there, find the ones you like. If you want me to tell you the ones I like the best, write me at reachadamandmac.com or Twitter at Proudly Resents, Skype at King Speaks, if that's important to you. Just want to say I really enjoy doing the show. You listening means a lot to me too. So thank you so much. If you have any questions or comments or your favorite scene or impression or mm, ah, ee, oop, or drawing or something from the room or whatever, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. All right, that's all I got. Till next time. Gotta go. Did I mention C A G?